It's our pleasure, and we are super excited now to be joined by Wright Thompson, ESPN senior writer and most recently author of Pappy Land, a story of family, fine bourbon, and things that last. Wright, thanks for taking time for the podcast. It's my pleasure. Wright, let's get um, into what would draw you to write a book about uh, fine bourbon, as you title it. Um, I guess the majority of the folks know you as a, a sports writer, but what drew you to this story, man, to chase this journey? Well, you know, it started when I, I, I met Julian and, uh, at a party in Atlanta one night. And I mean, I'm sure you met people who just seem real comfortable in their own skin and happy. And so, I, you know, I think we all want to be more like that. And so I, I, I started talking to him and we started hanging out and got to be friends. And the more I got to know him, the more I realized that I didn't really know anything about him at all. I mean, I'd always sort of thought that, you know, because his granddad was a famous whiskey guy. So I sort of thought he was one of those guys who was born on third base and thought he had a triple. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. He's like, nope, nobody likes that kid. <laughs> and, so, uh, and then I realized how, you know, his family had built this distillery and then lost it. And, uh, uh, and then, so he had sort of started over and, uh, that made the, the story of Pappy Van Winkle so much more compelling to me that it wasn't just somebody who inherited something, but it was, uh, somebody who was trying to redeem their family name. And, uh, that's when I really got interested. Right. Is there any sports parallel or anything that you've written that on the sports scene kind of follows this type, same type story or conflict and then resolution? You know, it's interesting to me that because in a lot of ways my sports stories are barely about sports. And so this this book is barely about bourbon. I mean, the first time my wife read it, she start, started laughing. I was like, oh, you wrote Eat, Pray, Love for Dad. And I was like, shit. You know, uh, I didn't Damn it. You know, but it, 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 uh, I feel like the reason a lot of us love sports, you know, the connections to our families, uh, you know, uh, watching them with our mom and dad or uh, introducing them to our sons and daughters. I felt like a lot of those, a lot of the reasons we love sports, uh, I felt parallel the reasons that things like bourbon are important. And so uh, I, there was a lot more overlap than I thought there might have been when I started. This is going to date uh, me, and if you tell me you don't know who I'm talking about, it's going to make me feel awkward. But Roy Firestone and the sit-downs oh, he yeah, used yeah. to do, right, and the way that oh, he yeah, used no, no, to. I love, no, I, 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 I used to watch all of those. <laughs> and so the way, man, that he can get to somewhere, and before you know it, you're sobbing. You have that way with your words. Is that intentional or is that just where the story goes with you, man? No, man. Just making you cry is just an unintended side benefit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm interested in stories that are universal and that are, you know, like, yeah, this is about Julian and it's about me, but hopefully if I did it right, it's also about you, you know? I mean, it's, I, I, I'm trying not so much to have a totally new idea, but to figure out how to articulate something maybe you thought and felt for a long time, but never quite been able to put into words. I mean, I really want people 
to read this and I hope that one, they see themselves and the things that they, you know, their, their hopes and dreams. And I, you know, I, uh, I hope it's, I hope with a group of people reading it, it's a place to start a discussion as opposed to being a complete discussion itself. I mean, in many ways, the book is a prompt. Like it's sort of perfect for a book club now that I think about mm-hmm. it. But like it, I wanted to start conversations in duck bars and in bars and all drive and tailgate. You know, like I, that's sure. what I, I'm hopeful for that. Right. When you talk about uh, that type of discussion, just coming off the Masters, which for any golf fan or fringe golf fan, the Masters is just that. It's that one or two tournament a year that you can really have a conversation, lead to other things. So many memories tied um, to that place. What was your impression of what had to be done because of the crazy year we're in and then the way that Dustin Johnson played over those four days? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, uh, I don't want to do it every year, but it was sort of cool. Yeah. Want to see it like that. You know, I mean, I sort of felt, I, I liked it. Like, I didn't I didn't watch it and feel like I'd somehow been cheated out of my Masters. Like, I, it felt to me when he was walking up to 18 that he had won the Masters. Not like it was some, you know, weird Masters Halloween costume poser <laughs> of a tournament. It felt like the Masters. Uh, I thought his scores and the scores of everyone else indicated, I mean, some of that is certainly the conditions and the way it played because it was in November. But also, I felt like some of it had to do with the fact that turns out golf's probably a lot harder when there's 30,000 people <laughs> standing right on top of you swinging a club. Yeah. You know, sure. I, if I got a, if there's, there's 10 people standing around a tee box, I shit the bed <laughs> almost all the time. Sure. But if I'm alone on like number seven at the course in Oxford, like I could crush it. But you put some people around me, uh, you know. So uh, that was interesting to see the scores. Uh, I, I liked it. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I don't want them to do it like that again. But as a one-off, I thought it was interesting and cool to see the sports like. Right. Your work for ESPN during the Masters or, and prior to, what does that process look like? Like how far out do you start pinning and narrating and then – Man, the John Prine, like, you, we talked about, uh, that's the last time I'm going to say tearjerker, but whoever's decision that was, man, that wasn't fair. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, so the people who make all those Masters things, it's a company, uh, uh, it's a production company that I work with called Bluefoot Entertainment. They make, uh, like, they're the people I make my television show True South with. So I've worked with them, I mean, I've worked with these people for 15 years. And so... Uh, the guy who owns the company and is the main guy is named Tim Morgan and his wife, Hillary, was listening to John Prime hmm. and was like, you guys should put this song on the Masters. And then both of us listened to it and were like, oh yeah, we're definitely putting this song on the Masters. <laughs> and so like, that's how it works. Like, by the way, if you ever hear a perfect song, send it to me. Like, we are <laughs> always looking. Uh, uh, so, um, but that's how it happened. Hillary liked the song. And we heard it. I was like, oh, my God. I, I'd forgotten about that song. Man, and the way you're playing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and also coming off those morons at the CMAs, like, yeah. it was really nice to sort of, the timing of that worked out great. Yeah, that's unbelievable, man. Have people turning in their membership cards, huh? Oh, I know. I mean, it's just like, if you ever want to know, like, how far that, uh, that thing has gotten from uh, 
both from the sort of craft of songwriting and from rural America. Just like, don't honor Jerry Jeff Walker and John Prine. You know what I mean? That's crazy. Yeah, just wild. So, all right, yeah. speaking of music, what, what are we listening to if we're in the process of putting together uh, the art that you put together, man? Like, what's your go-to to get in that, I guess the term now is flow, but that state of mind that, that gets you there? You know, I mean, I have a, it varies. I mean, like right now out of my office, I have been wearing out the Bruce Springsteen Born in the USA album, especially the second side of it. Starts with No Surrender. Like, I, I, I've been listening to that a lot. I'm, I'm a big Springsteen nut. Uh, I listen to, uh, I mean, a lot of Jason Isbell, a lot of Drop Out Truckers, a lot of widespread Panning, uh, a lot of, uh, sometimes I'm, I'm right now, find a song and listen to it on repeat over and over. Like, uh, there's a Modest Mouse song called Little Hotel that I like to put on and just play over and over and over. Uh, so it just sort of depends, but there's always music on. I wonder if widespread pan is done better in any part of the world than Oxford, Mississippi. You think? It's unbelievable. I mean, sometimes I wonder if they're like a big band at all. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, I have friends from Connecticut who are like, who? I'm like, the panic, bro. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Red Rocks, 98? No? N nothing? No. So, it's pretty funny. I mean, I, I, I saw them at the Tad Pad in 1990. I was at three? Uh, long time ago all right we're talking about our home state the story um that you put together ghost of mississippi and then to see what yeah. happened with our flag over this 2020 year your thoughts on that yeah i gotta tell you look i know a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about the flag and i you know i, I respect everyone's right to voice theirs uh mine is it should have been gone a long time ago hmm. and you're going to call yourself the hospitality state, uh, then you, that starts with your neighbor. And it just is, I mean, it's, it's as simple as, you know, things we learned in Sunday school to me, uh, do one to others, love your neighbor as yourself. And if, if, if there is a, you know, if there are fellow Mississippians who feel that that flag makes them, made them unwelcome in their own home, then we should take it down to me. And like, like I said, I, you know, I'm from Mississippi. I got, I got family of every single political persuasion you could imagine, just like you do. And like, you know, I, I, I understand that, that, that good people can have political opinions that are different than mine, but that's mine. Like I'm glad it's gone. And I think it should have been gone a long time ago. Right, we had Rick Cleveland on this very show during a time where, you know, the flag was before the vote when in the time when it was being yeah. changed and, and we both kind of referenced back uh, to your work. What did you learn about uh, our state doing a research and digging in for that Ghost of Mississippi story? It's interesting to me that, like, uh, how recent a lot of the Confederate stuff around Ole Miss football was. You know, I mean, like, I, that was a surprise to me. I just sort of thought it had always been like that because we've sort of been taught that. But, you know, the, the, the first Confederate flag ever flown at an Ole Miss football game coincided almost exactly with Harry Truman desegregating the military. Hmm. And, uh, like, you can sort of lay it. Just, 
it's pretty interesting to take a history of Ole Miss football and Confederate flag and lay it alongside of a totally separate history of desegregation in the United States because you're fucking draw, jaw drop. Because you'll just be like, oh. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. pretty interesting how those things talk to each other. Like, anyway, I think that stuff is very interesting because, uh, uh, you know, William Fogger is a genius for many reasons, but, I mean, the, the quote that... Uh, uh, the past isn't dead, it isn't even past, hmm. is uh, pretty significant. And by the way, I mean, God, if, if we're having a conversation for greatest living Mississippi, and it might be Rick Cleveland. Yeah. Man, I is he not Rick. a treasure or I, what? No, he really is. Like, I remember, like, I grew up reading Rick. Rick's one of the reasons I wanted to be a sports writer. Sure thing. So, like, the fact that I grew up and got to be friends with him, it just blows my mind. I can't even, you know? Yeah. My bride. We've had we've had Brett Favre on the show, and then we've had Rick Cleveland on. I guess five or six times, and every time we have Rick on, I say whatever it costs or whatever we give up to have a podcast. Every time we have Rick Cleveland on, it certainly worth it. Hundred percent. And Brett Favre, man, I don't know who's booking your guests, but they're doing pretty good. That's impressive. <laughs> well, we do all right. Look, if you throw in Mississippi, most uh, Mississippi guys like yourself. Uh, take time for a little podcast based out of Picayune. So we appreciate guys like you. Picayune, Mississippi, man. The, uh, you were were you way down there. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh-huh. So, right, when you look at um, Child 2, you, you've mentioned before we went on yeah. the air, how much does that change your perspective on stories, man? Like fatherhood, do you look, I mean, everything kind of looks different, huh? Well, I mean, what's been really interesting, man, is, I mean, the COVID uh, just has shut ESPN down. And so I haven't been anywhere really. I mean, I used to be on the road 180, 220 days a year. I mean, I was on the road at least 180 days a year for 20 years Hmm. and then just stopped. And so, one, I realized I like being home more than I thought I would. I'm glad my wife actually likes me. I was a little worried. <laughs> Come April, I'm like, what if she fucking hates me? You know, like, uh, uh, it's, it, it, you know, it's hard to think about 2021 being on the road 180 days. So that'll be interesting to see how that feels. Because I've, I've gotten used to being at home. Yeah, and you go into that in the title and the foreword of uh, The Cost of These Dreams. You kind of lay that out even, I guess that's a yeah. little dated now. What's that, two or three years ago that that yeah, was it's, put it's out? I've been thinking about for a long time, just like why we do any of this, you know? Yeah, sure. So that collection, that cost of these dreams, right, the the one that people come up to you and say, hey, this one lays on me, man, this, this one got me, or uh, – out of that collection, what's the one people most relate to or that you get the most from? It's pretty interesting. Uh, in in a airport in the South, it is definitely a story I wrote about uh, my dad and the Masters. Mm. And outside of the South, it's usually Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods. Yeah. But it's interesting how, like, you know, if I'm in the airport in if I'm in the airport in Atlanta or Charlotte or Memphis and somebody comes up to talk about a story, nine times out of ten it will be that master story. Yeah. Mm. 
Which, by the way, I admit, like, that it always makes my day every time that happens. Like, it, you know, you want to sit there and you let me tell stories about my dad? I will 100% sit here in this airport and do that to you. You don't want to hear me. Yeah, man, what a beautiful piece that was, too. And I and I don't know where I saw it. It was your writing, but, and don't let me misquote you with you on the phone, but it, you said it, what maybe your best work that you just, uh, how did you phrase that, right, when you when you talked oh, about that work? I just work. sort of, like, I mean, opened a vein is yes. probably what I said. Yep, I, mean, like, I just sort of, you know, I don't know, I'm just, I, I, it's as close to, it's pretty, it's an unvarnished, that's just how I feel about it, you know? And uh, uh, I didn't overthink it. I didn't, I mean, I just sat down and wrote it straight through. So I, I'm very, you know, that's as confessional as you can get on the page. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I don't like doing, I like telling other people's secrets. <laughs> right. You you promised me 10 or 15. We're past that. How, how can people find a book and go buy the book, right? Mine came in, by the way, man, mine came in, um, in the mail today, so I can't wait to get started on mine. Well, that's cool. You can, you know, uh, wherever your local bookstore is, uh, you can uh, just go to squarebooks.com and get it, or you can call Square Books in Oxford and go to Amazon. Uh, we've sold Amazon out twice now, wow. I think. They, but they, they got a bunch more books coming. Uh, so check out Amazon. Uh, uh, you know, you can get it on Walmart's website. You can get it, uh, I mean, Everywhere books are sold is uh, what they tell me to say. But, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it, it, you can find it. Yeah, I got mine. I believe it's on, like, bookshop.org or bookshop.com. Yeah. And they claim they give to whatever's the locus, local bookstore sh- nearest you or some something. Yeah, we have yeah, to check yeah, that. But Right. When you uh, – one more question, man. When you hear numbers, like when Amazon or whoever lets you know that, do you pull a Kiffin man or you throw in a copy of whatever you have in your hand as high in the air as you can? Or what's that look like around your place when you get a good report on the book? I'm dancing around the house for sure. <laughs> in fact, um, I, I've missed a phone call and a text message doing this from my agent. And uh, the text message just said, please call me. So I'm assuming that's going to be good news, too. So it's a good week to be around my house. I've got a new baby. The book's doing well. It was Master's Week. Uh, i got nothing to complain about. I'm pretty happy. Yeah, and just wait till people get this from this podcast out of Picky, and your numbers are going to skyrocket. That's what I figure. I feel like if, if I don't sell a book to every single man, woman, and child at Picky, I don't even really know what I've been doing. <laughs> you may not know if you do. <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, right, man. It's been a pleasure. We appreciate you, brother. Thanks, man. Thank Thank you. you.